Good morning, Hong Kong. This is Andrew Work, and my guest presenter today is Ada Wong. Good morning, Ada. Good morning, Andrew. Ada, are you ready for some icy conditions at high elevations? Well, yeah, pretty cool out there. Yeah, I love it. The Canadian Emmy just loves it. But on today's back chat, we're not talking about the weather. We're talking about the government's recently imminent and now delayed wage charging scheme. After years of debate, the people of Hong Kong woke up to the fact that the charging scheme was upon them. The Sleeping Beauties raised a ruckus and the administration announced that they were postponing the pay-as-you-throw scheme by four months until August the 1st, after concerns were raised about how the waste charging policy would work. Instead, only government departments will start using designated rubbish bags as planned from April 1st as a trial run. Then we'll all pay for our trash disposal starting August 1st. After 9.45, we get expert advice on sports safety after a 30-year-old man died after taking part in the Standard Chartered Half Marathon on Sunday. Whether it's trash or running, let us know what you think. You can leave a message here on our Facebook page. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or call us on 233-88266. Our operators are standing by. And we're kicking off today with uh, representative from the Architects of the Plan, Teresa Wu, the Assistant Director, uh, Municipal Solid Waste Charging of the Environmental Protection Department. Ms. Wu, welcome to Backchat. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> hey, good morning. Um, so this is this is your baby, um, and the government has decided to postpone the scheme. I mean, to me, it seems like this has been talked about a lot. It, it you know, it was like nobody was, mm-hmm. you know, people people don't people don't pay attention. Mm-hmm. Wake up, people! And then so the announcement came, and people were like like they never heard about it. So they've kicked up a fuss, and now you're thinking, you know, now the government's announcing going to postpone. Why? What what did you take into consideration when you were postponing the scheme? Yeah, because this is a really new initiative for Hong Kong because Hong Kong has never imposed any charges on waste disposal. And this uh, regulation is going to affect all walks of life, you know, from general public to the commercial and, and industrial sectors, uh, from the non-government organization, uh, the non-profitable organizations, you know. Um, the <clears throat> And recently, we've been discussing a lot. Uh, we heard of a lot of discussions and opinions about the municipal solid waste charging scheme. Uh, the main reason is because uh, there's different ch- types of charging modes under different circumstances. Uh, at, when designing this uh, charging modes, we try not to in affect the existing operations of the waste uh, cleansing contractors and the uh, waste collectors, you know, uh, due to the uniqueness of the the complexity of the charging modes, the, uh, the, the collection services, you know. Uh, first of all, there are different types of waste vehicles. We have uh, compacted types, non-compacted types. We have cleansing lady just uh, <clears throat> collect the waste and then just uh, carry them over to the um, refuse collection points uh, operated by the Food and Environmental Hygiene Services Department. Uh, that's why we uh, allow for different charging modes. As you may have heard of, we have charging by bags, and then charging by labels, and then charging by gate fee. <laughs> but this different charging modes applies to uh, different types of uh, premises too. It and, and it, it depends on the type of waste collection service the premises is engaging. For example, for residential uh, estates. Uh, over 80 or 90% of the residents should be charged by bags, but there are exceptions. 
because they are a single box building of which the compactor types of vehicles could not enter into their areas and they have to charge by gate fee. Uh, that's why um, we cannot just use a simple API to carry the message over and when we, when we go into the details, uh, people get puzzled. Uh, this is understandable. Um, that's why we... Uh, <clears throat> As mentioned by the Secretary for the Environment and Ecology in various occasions, the successful implementation of the MSW training schemes requires the support for various factors in the society and the public members. And the understanding on the MSW charging is very important. And this is the main reason we would like to postpone the scheme, to get people to get more understanding on the scheme first. Right, um, uh, Ms. Wu, I, I think there are a number of pain points uh, in, in the scheme. Um, well, I, I actually endorse the scheme and I agree with the scheme, but I do know that a lot of friends and neighbours, they are, they are really concerned about uh, the whole process. And so I guess in the next four months, perhaps you can design the whole process a little bit better. Now, one, one case is that um, when you live in an older building, a multi-storey building, usually there's a cleaning lady who will collect your uh, uh, rubbish, your waste. Um, and um, if uh, one of your neighbours is not really the, uh, you know, it doesn't really have a citizenship mindset and uh, they just mm -hmm. dump whatever like they used to be. Um, there's no way for the management or for the cleaning lady to knock on every single door to say, hey, who, you know, who threw this bag out? And, um, and as a result, the cleaning lady, um, and this is um, a very real concern, mm -hmm. uh, would have to um, take out a bag that she purchased herself Mm. Uh, to wrap it around the, um, you know, the uh, the illegal bag, I would say. Yes, I know. Yeah. So, so, so this is, uh, I mean, from the um, a very humanistic point of view, uh, mm -hmm. this is a real case, and I think, um, um, you know, a lot of stories around um, the uh, the whys and hows. But I think, you know, uh, how how would you respond to what I've just um, described? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because there's uh, two legislative requirements which um, restricted the <clears throat> um, uh, non the non-compliance. Uh, yeah. the, the non deep non designated bags from um, and from going on from loading onto the waste vehicles. This is one requirement. That's why the cleansing lady has to wrap the non compliant waste into the designated bags before they can hand over to the waste collection points as well as the waste collection vehicles. Uh, that's why they <clears throat> they have to wrap those uh, bags. They have to uh, maybe. <clears throat> Make make them make them comply. <laughs> is, would, would the building management be responsible for that? I mean, the cleaning lady is going to see like, listen, if it's not wrapped, I'm not paying for it. Building management, give me bags. Yes, that's why um, <laughs> there are two approach for improving the situation. Uh, we propose uh, in our best practice guide one one is that the property management companies can consider uh, purchasing the designated bags for all the rest on the all the re uh, residential households. That's why from from the government in bulk, and we offer three percent service fee uh, for the management companies to um, cover their transportation and management fee. Uh, in this case, when everybody gets their own 
have a designated bank, they won't they won't have the incentive to use the non-designated ones, right? This is one point. And the other one is uh, we will recommend the uh, property management companies to control uh, to provide more patrolling or <clears throat> or warnings to the uh, non-compliant uh, residents. I know this is a bit hard because um, they have to uh, employ more. Um, <clears throat> more manpower to do the enforcement work. However, we are developing a mobile app, mobile application, of which uh, people can just take a picture and upload to the website, and then EPD will know which one uh, is doing the, is not doing uh, the black ships, and then we will collect all the data and do more patrolling in this area and conduct uh, some enforcement works in, in those areas. I think, uh, but the, you, bear in mind that the Char- the charge, the cost of the bag, designated bag is not that expensive. It's just like uh, $1.70 or $2.20. Um, but for one um, fixed penalty notice, it costs like uh, $1,500. In fact, there's not much incentives for, um, for the general public to violate the law. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, but um, you know, waste charging is something very new, as you said, and it requires a lot of uh, behavior change and mindset mm-hmm. change. Uh, we should not really just emphasize the penalty. We should encourage mm-hmm. people to change their behavior, for example, to reduce waste, to mm-hmm. use less waste. But mm-hmm. then, you know, um, yes, I I am a great fan of the uh, Green Net community mm-hmm. uh, spots, um, but they are so few. You know, there are eleven big ones, and they are. Uh, a couple of others, uh, but they they only appear on weekends. Uh, when the recycling is not a habit yet, it is very difficult. And also, I, I think you know, I know time is tight, but there is one issue that I would love, la- like to emphasize on. I hope that um, your bureau can consider asking the supermarkets not to use so much plastic. Uh, I buy four oranges, and I have a plastic holder, and I have the um, the wrapper. Uh, yeah, I, and, I, ideally, and, um, ideally, people will seek out less packaging. Uh, absolutely, there should it. be no packaging so because should, I do not be, want yeah. to have so much waste. I do not want to buy so many bags. You know, I want to reduce waste together with the bureau. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, and I think the source of that is actually the supermarkets. Uh, yeah. Yes, but if if we are encouraged by this program to buy products with less packaging, the supermarkets will have to respond. Teresa Wu, I know you've got to go very quickly. Uh, we've only got you for a short time. What online resources can people look at if they want to prepare for this? They want to understand it better. Where should where should they go? Oh, we have an MSW charging website, which you can go to have a look. Well, there are information about the charging mode, charging gate fee, retail outlet, and of designated bag legislative requirements and frequent asked questions. We have also developed uh, eight best practice guides for the various trade members, like the catering, hotel, shopping mall, uh, supermarkets, uh, re- uh, rural villages, single occupies premises, and commercial and industrial buildings, residential premises with property management uh, organizations, and also one for the private waste collectors. And various trade members can uh, download these uh, best practice guides uh, for reference. And also, we are approaching the district council members and the care teams and seeking their support to spread the message around. So you may also call our hotline uh, for specific cases uh, like the Park Islands or whatever. So uh, our hotline number is 28383111. All right. Thank you very much. That's Teresa Wu, Assistant Director of Municipal Solid Waste Charging of the Environmental Protection Department. Thank you for coming on the show. We'd love to get you back again as we get closer to, uh, to to the August deadline.
I know. Yeah, the new target date. Thank you for joining us. Um, we are continuing this discussion about the public waste charging scheme, and we've got a couple of guests joining us now, starting with Professor Christine Lowe, Chief Development Strategist of the Division of Environment and Sustainability at the HKUST. And I'm sure all, most of our listeners should know that she was the former Undersecretary for the Environment. Uh, Professor Lowe, welcome back to the show. Hi. Hi, everyone. Good morning. Good to have you lined up. I'm looking to my producer to see if we also have Dana Winograd, the CEO and founder of Plastic Free Seas. Uh, Dana, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you very much. Nice to be here. It's good to have you both on. Um, we just had on uh, a representative from the Environmental Protection Department, and Ada uh, raised the issue of incentives and what is going to change behavior. She was pointing to the supermarkets and saying they should be beaten with a stick. I'm paraphrasing, of course. Well, not just that. I mean, there's so much <laughs> packaging. Now Chinese New Year is coming, and uh, if you buy a gift, uh, it's got the, you have the wrapper, and then you have the packaging for each piece of sweets. And um, mm. can we be more packaging-free? I mean, I, for one, I would not like to produce a lot of waste. But then, um, you know, this society uh, doesn't really encourage a reduction of waste uh, at source. Or does it? Uh, Christine Yes, Lowe? Christine? Right. Uh, actually, I'm calling you from the United States, where I'm spending a, a few weeks on some assignments. And I tell you, you know, it's not a Hong Kong problem. Packaging uh, is a worldwide issue. But if I can just leave the packaging for the time being, I just want to clarify, because this was something that during my time as undersecretary, um, that that term of government under CY Leung, we actually published a policy paper that talked about waste charging. Now, it's taken a very long time, but it is an essential step. The whole thing about waste charging is that it in itself is an incentive. So I think what the government seems to not have done so well in this round of promoting it when it's supposed to be a ready system is that it hasn't managed to communicate it to everybody how the system actually works. So I'm a bit disappointed with that, I have to say. Now, secondly is... The cost you have to now pay, not just for people to take your waste away, right? You actually ha are charged for the waste itself, that that in, in itself should be an incentive. Um, I just want to say that all these other measures, right, in terms of packaging and so on, that is a separate issue. And I assume where both of you or all three of you live, you in your residential building and in your perhaps work building, you do have capacity to separate waste because the government actually has been working on that for a long time. So the bag you are going to buy in the future should, be the, uh, should have been minimized because you should have a system where you live and work to already be separating you know, your paper, your bottles, your plastic bottles, so on and so forth. So I think that's what the government really needs to come and talk to the people about yeah, much I, more clearly. I'll tell you, you know, Christine, you're so right. In my building, we definitely have those. And like trying to get anybody in my family to actually, you know, do any separation and run around yelling at people, turn off the lights, turn off the air cod. And now it's going to be, you know, separate the garbage. We don't have to pay so much. Um, uh, I mean, I guess now people will, will actually do it because they have to pay. That's, that's the whole concept. Well, uh, let, right? me, let me tell you a story, right? Let me tell you a story. I, I was talking to a property... Uh, developer and manager and I'm going back to uh, the time when I was in government which was um, you know quite a while ago 2012 1314 so during that period of time 
this particular very, you know, this is a substantial property company. Mm. They had no idea how much waste they actually throw away. Wow. So when they heard that the government policy was going to be waste charging, they actually did an audit of how much they threw away, and it shocked them. <laughs> so they, at the time, they also sort of said, well, what if uh, the government was charging uh, X dollar per, you know, kg or per ton or whatever, right, sure. the unit? And you kind of play around with that number, and it was something that they told me. They said it got to the board level, and it was significant. Mm. So from then onwards, this company actually thought about what they could do to reduce waste. Now, so I think today what you're actually going to see is that uh, some of the companies in Hong Kong are actually conscious of what it is that they need to do. Now, you're very often talking about you and me, right? Can we get our children to do it? Can we get ourselves to do it? Well, yes, to be honest, you can. I take, I separate my waste and I take it downstairs and it's not a huge hassle. So, you know, we always say, even if you have a relatively small incentive for people not to spend money, that it is a driver. It's a driver worldwide through. So in Hong Kong, we are going to see how it can work. You know, rather than think up a thousand ideas of how it can't work, I think in Hong Kong, the government and society as a whole, we need to think about how it can work. And, you know, sorry, I'm a bit long-winded. I'll just say one more thing. Remember... Uh, a few years ago, Shanghai started to do waste separation and charging. And the first few months, uh, I would say the first three or four months, this was a riot in Shanghai. People talked about, we don't know what to do, where to put what, and so on. But after about four months or so, when things settled down, people actually were reasonably happy with themselves that they could do it. So I think expect a lot of hassle and arguments at the beginning, but as things settle down, we should do no worse than Seoul, Taipei, Shanghai. Got it. Dana, Dana do you, what's your take on this? Um, is this program going to be effective? Are the, are the incentives in the terms of how much they are charging and what the penalties are for non-compliance, do you think they're going to be effective in, in changing behavior and making an impact on how much garbage we generate in Hong Kong? Kind of following on along with what Christine said, it's not only about the um, it, the incentives are going to work definitely, and especially if you look at the the amount of waste that you're you're creating, you know it. You do your own audit, you will realize that you can save money. But what we need is is the behavior change, and and what we need is to address or make sure that people understand that it's not just about. Um, uh, that you're going to have to pay for your waste. It's making them really understand how they're going to reduce that waste. So making the connection between, yes, recycling more and getting less packaging at the grocery store is going to help in this situation. And that's where I think we can do a lot better in the next, we have about seven and a half months now until until this is implemented. If we can make that connection, not only to hammering down to people, there's going to be fines, they're, they're, you're going to be charged, but more, how can you reduce that? How are you going to be able to um, pay less by recycling more? One thing, Christine, about the separation in the buildings, unfortunately for plastic, for example, we only generally have plastic bottle collection. We do need to rely on the number six uh, green recycling collection program. And I think 
in order to make this even more successful, this implement the um, this waste charging, we need to make that far more widespread. Have make sure people have far more access to full recycling, not just the three color bins that are in their building, and that is going to incentivize if people know they can they they can get their recycling um, close by and handled properly, then they're going to be more likely to participate. Right. Uh, Christine, you mentioned that in Shanghai it took only four months, uh, but uh, the Secretary for Environment and Ecology said uh, perhaps it will take Hong Kong three to five years to understand and really accept the uh, the MSW charging. Um, uh, are, we, are we a little slow? <laughs> does, he, does he think we're I, um, <laughs> No, I, this is a direct quote from the Secretary. Right. My, my, well, my, my question, my, my question is, I think now, you know, people are worried about, um, the, uh, the final operation of, you know, how to, how to take it back out and uh, how the cleaners could collect. And the cleaners are worried about, um, being asked to, uh, to buy uh, the, uh, the bags themselves, uh, to, to cover the non-compliant bags. And so that, you know, cleaners are really at the, at the bottom of how, you know, labor force. Um, and so people, you know, empathize with them. And then there's the public housing estates and, and people do not really understand. They say, okay, I, I, I got take away and then I can just dump the whole bag, you know, um, you know, despite, uh, despite the fact that they know that they have to buy another bag to, to cover that takeaway dinner that they just had. So all these very small things, um, have been discussed, uh, but, um, the, um, I, I guess the government has not come up with a, a really positive response and encouraging response. What, yeah, what, what's your I take understand. on that? Yeah, no, Ada, I understand that, which is why I guess the government has been pushed into the position of delaying it, right? Because there are just too many questions. Um, I understand what the government is now doing is that in, uh, I mean, obviously, to be honest, and this has happened in Shanghai and many other cities that have gone before us. There are all these questions that different stakeholders start asking. Um, they're going to be, they're going to have to be answered to some extent as you start the program. Um, so I think in Hong Kong, the government now has to go and do really good messaging. And my understanding is they're going to start with government buildings, right? You know, I guess that includes public housing. And they're going to show the rest of the community how it's going to work. So I hope that will answer a, a, a lot of questions. But when we studied this back in the, uh, uh, you know, sort of earlier years when I was involved, we looked at the examples of what happened in different cities when they started to impose this. And for the first few months, it was always a riot. So many questions, unhappy people, don't know what to do, people dumping all over the place. But after a while, the community does get into it. You know, so I think from my point of view is I want this system to work. And let's look at the positive side, how to make it work, rather than to say it's not going to work because we have many questions that the government can't answer. Mm. I've got an email here from Helga. Helga says, uh, while the discussion keeps coming back to process, I think that the underlying problem is that people do not understand that they have been paying for waste management all along, whether through their management fees or taxes. Uh, <clears throat> why would we not want to have better control over how much money we spend on our waste disposal? And she says, finally, Ada's point is very valid. Grocery stores need to support their customers by offering more low or no packaging options. We should not rely on government for that. Let's talk with our wallets, says Helga. Um, she, she raises a point uh, in economics. I've always been a big, big fan of 
visible taxes as opposed to invisible taxes because invisible taxes don't change people's behavior, really. Um, uh, you know, economics happens at the edge. Uh, Christine, have, we, have people worked out economic modeling on this on government to figure out a, a, you know, a do, a, how much impact this is going to have? How, how hard are well, the numbers? I, I assume, yeah, I assume they have. I mean, two things. Is if you make a, I mean, I'm just talking in generalities now, and you know, you know this very well, being very interested in economics yourself. Mm -hmm. Of course, you can impose a very high cost, but it might be too high and society won't accept it, right? So you need to find some, uh, 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 you know, some level. And I guess the government have pitched it at a certain level. We need to go and buy a bag and we put it in it. So, for example, if I separate my waste out like I am now, I'm expecting uh, I can probably deal with the smallest bag uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. And maybe I can even use one bag for two or three days, right? Oh. So that's something that I will learn as I am using that system. Gamification um, of waste. We're going to leave it there, Christine, because I know you're going to join us after okay. the break for the news. We'll pick it up right there. Uh, very excited today to have Professor Christine Lowe, Chief Development Strategist of the Division of Environment and Sustainability at HKUST on, as well as Dana Winograd, CEO and founder of Plastic Free Seas, who are both going to be on with us after the break for the news. Today, your weather, very cold for Hong Kong. Cloudy to overcast with a few rain patches, might want an umbrella. Temperatures in the urban areas will linger around 6 degrees and a little bit lower in the new territories. It is currently 7 degrees Celsius at RTHK with 87% humidity. And this is Back Chat. Now for the news. It's 9.30 and now the news with Martin Holmes. A property analyst says the trend towards working from home has become a factor in the subdued commercial property market in addition to the sluggish economy. Kathy Chung, a senior director of research at real estate services company JLL, was speaking after the government yesterday announced that Queensway government offices in Admiralty would be converted into a new High Court building. This is a change from its original plan to relocate it to the central harbour front. Heavy fighting has been raging in southern Gaza as the Israeli army continues its assault on the city of Khan Yunis, which it says is the main headquarters of Hamas. Palestinian sources say Israeli troops have stormed one hospital in the area and put another under siege. And US and British forces have carried out another wave of strikes against Houthi rebels in Yemen. The Pentagon says eight Houthi rebel targets were hit, including an underground weapons storage site. It's the second time the US and Britain have taken joint action against the Iranian-backed group, which has been attacking commercial vessels in the Red Sea in response to Israel's war against Hamas. The news from RTHK. To create a brighter future for Hong Kong, how should we allocate resources? Promote green transformation, help the needy, nurture future leaders, improve quality of our homes, Diversify industries, enhance financial services and INT, and attract talent and enterprises. Achieve sustainable development and grow the pie for Hong Kong. The 2024 to 25 budget public consultation has started. Go to budget.gov.hk and share your views. The United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities is applicable to Hong Kong. It promotes equal rights for persons with disabilities so that they can live independently in a barrier-free community, have access to information, participate in society, and unleash their potential. Respect and care for their needs. Honor the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities 
Build a barrier-free society. Hey, we're back on Back Chat on RTHK Radio 3. I'm Andrew Work here with Ada Wong. We also have on the line right now Dana Winograd, the CEO and founder of Plastic Free Seas. Professor Christine Lowe, Chief Development Strategist at the Division of Environment and Sustainability at HKUST and former Undersecretary for the Environment. And we're also joined now by Leanne Tam, who is a campaigner with Greenpeace East Asia. Leanne, welcome to the show. Morning. Morning. So I'm going to hit a couple of emails. Uh, I'll start with one quick one, or actually a longer one, and then I'll bring up the shorter one later. Uh, Dear Backchat, says Mark. I already invest time to recycle and compost, reducing landfill waste to a minimum. Good for you, Mark. If our management company includes a charge for the average number of bags used by residents, won't those of us with good habits, including recycling, subsidize those who can't be bothered? So wouldn't this considerably reduce the incentive to invest our time in reducing solid waste? For major garden waste during fast tropical growth season, especially after a typhoon, how will waste be charged under this scheme? Will this not discourage greenery at properties and see more barren tilling and concreting around our cities, towns, and villages? Um, thank you, Mark, for that email. A couple of things to get into there. Um, he seems to have the impression that our building is going to pay for the garbage bags for our waste, but I don't think that's how it works. Uh, Christine, I think you, you probably have the details on that. Well, um, somebody has to buy the bags, right? You know, I'm assuming that I will go and... So right now, in fact, I use my plastic bags, right? You either buy them or most people use the bags that maybe they get from shopping, right, to, to put the mm. rubbish in. Sure. So yep. you've got to go and uh, get the green bags, the designated green bags. That bag has a cost. So if I can manage to use the smallest bag for two or three days at a time, uh, that saves me money because otherwise if I have a lot of waste and I don't separate, I need the very big bag, which is much more expensive. So that's how I, I'm going to have to pay. Now, there is a management fee for the management of the building. Right now, that fee simply takes your rubbish away. It's not a waste charge for your waste. It's an overall fee right for managing the building which includes taking the waste away right so the new scheme is you're paying through buying the bag right and then so then my management you know so right now i take i take my little bag and i take it to the end of the hallway where there's a place to put the bag and then they put it yeah. into a bigger bag does, does the management have to pay for the bigger yeah, bag? well now this is the biggest concern because um the management company will eventually have to buy a bigger bag because there will be people who are not really good citizens. And um, so the whole building, um, I know a lot of uh, buildings have increased management charges already since 2024 uh, because of this uh, municipal solid waste charge. And so they have to subsidize uh, the ones who who do not have this new habit yet. And I don't know how long this could go on before you know, the, um, the uh, owners in corporations uh, get really upset about it. So, so I think this is a really major concern is that, you know, the management company pays and then each owner also has to pay. And then when uh, you buy just, and yeah, and when you buy food uh, and you, you have more ways to, to throw away. Yes. Andrew, yeah. um, I'm, I am a Dana. bit concerned with what Teresa said earlier when she was on. She did specifically mention that they are advising PMOs, property management companies, to consider if there is a problem, to consider buying the bags for the residents, which is totally counterproductive to trying to get people to reduce their waste. So yeah. 
that is, I, I'm shocked that they are going ahead with making that a recommendation. Um, people should, residents should have to buy their bag. That's the whole point of, of waste charging. Now, with regard to the bag in the double bagging, if people do it properly, which they will eventually, I'm very confident, then theoretically we don't need, a, you know, the big bag in the rubbish bin. There'll be lots of small bags in there. Um, unfortunately, until we get there, that's when the monitoring of this is going to have to um, be taken very seriously. And this app, I'm very interested to hear more about the app from the EPD, where hopefully the cleaners can use the app not to tell on people, but to record where the problems are so that the, the property management can address that floor or, you know, try and come to the to the root of the problem. So, you know, the double bagging, all of this stuff. Let's not worry about this. Let's get this started, get people understanding how this works. And it then the behavior change will, you know, come along. Yeah, we've got, we've got to stigmatize it. And I'm sure people will be policing their neighbors, probably get a lot of finger wagging uh, notices in the elevator. You know, somebody on the fourth floor hasn't been putting the proper bags <laughs> in the garbage. I mean, it's going to it's going to happen. Uh, Leanne Tam, how confident are you in this plan and changing behavior and reducing our, our waste use? Uh, yeah, I do think that somehow some commercial sector now like keep complaining or saying that oh, I will shift their uh, burdens to the customer or um, well, okay, we will add more management price, management course, or like the the price of the product, something like that. But I I do think that it is not correct, as we said that uh, actually the management, like the property management or the shops can try to manage like who uh like their residents should obey their um, the instruction yeah they should not only slowly slowly say that oh i add more charge to that than to compensate the things yeah uh, i do think that they also have the responsibility like to manage it and do the education uh for example that collaborate with more ngos or like the government department to uh do a better education on the residents. I've got yeah. an email from Stephen here. He says, uh, wondering for, for those, has, has no one examined what works slash doesn't work globally in places similar to Hong Kong? I haven't heard it discussed as all. Seems like a bit of reinventing the wheel. Um, in the first part of the show, uh, Christine, you made reference to Shanghai, Seoul, Taiwan. I feel like this has been discussed for years and years and years. And admittedly, you know, I'm, I'm in the game. I'm paying attention to politics. I guess people like Stephen... Uh, I mean, in economics, we call this rational ignorance. It, they did. They ignored it because, you know, they, they, it wasn't important for them to know about it because it wasn't a thing. Now it's a thing they're going to have to pay for. It. All of a sudden, people are waking up. Um, I mean, Hong Kong did look at other places like us, Christine. How did we not get the attention of people before this? Well, you know, I mean, this is not so unusual. I mean, if we cast our mind back about, let's say, wearing seatbelts in cars, right? You know, I mean, now I guess almost everybody do it. Some people still don't do it. Uh, but in terms of waste charging, it's quite complicated. There are many different types of waste. I think that's the other thing. And most people don't want, you know, they, they, they're not paying attention to the details until you have to do it. So in a way, this is the moment of truth. And I think, unfortunately, when the government is about to launch it, the public messaging is probably still needs some improvement. Uh, and they were forced to 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 actually uh, delay because I think they also recognize that they need to prepare this part of it much better. Um, so, but I mean, the idea is Hong Kong has to push ahead. 
other people have a lot of difficulty pushing it through as well. Mm. This is very common, and this is what we took away when we first did the research on how other people did it. Right, Dana? No, I agree. It just we just have to get started with this. It will um, it will we'll fine tune as we go. But if we keep waiting until everybody's ready, it's never going to happen. And and this we don't want to make a habit of delaying implementation of legislation. This isn't a good practice to um, to a good line to go down. Better you've got to be more like the tech sector. Move fast and break things, right? Well, um, my my worry, um, I, I would like to, you know, get some comments from all of you. My comment is that now, you know, the whole um, city is in a complaints mode. Uh, people are very sarcastic about, you know, uh, about the green bag, about, um, you know, all these little details. But nobody is uh, thinking seriously about it. For example, if I want to reduce waste, can I ask my building management to get a composting thing, you know, down together with the bins. And uh, how do you do composting? And there are no KOLs in, in Hong Kong. I, I haven't, you know, got around to, to finding somebody who can convince me and who is actually a government friend to say, look, you know, as sort of public education, if you compress your your garbage, then you don't have to pay so much because you can, you know, buy a smaller bag and how to throw away stuff because we throw away stuff so easily in the past. Uh, so I think we need people who can tell stories. We need people who can communicate this whole system to the public and we need these people to demonstrate how, how to throw away rubbish. I mean, it sounds really silly, but we yeah. do need that. It, it brings up something that Stephen mentioned in his email. Um, is this going to be a disincentive for people to have green spaces uh, because they're going to have to throw away organic waste and pay more for it? I mean, um, uh, Leanne? Yeah, uh, I do think that the discussion always saying that oh, the, for the waste charging is a uh, very comfort. Uh, I mean, uh, people like citizens uh, saying that our government is not ready. Uh, uh, what's for our government? And I think it's right. Like the government can do more preparation work, have had more um, high quality communication and promotion to the citizens. But somehow, uh, the responsibility of the commercial sector is very important. Like on, on their way, some 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 people complain. Oh, I'm working on FMB and I have a lot of uh, good waste. But actually, the food waste is because of they somehow produce too much and then now have waste charging, they have to pay for it. Actually, they cannot shift the burden to the customer to say that, oh, now we have uh, waste charging and then I have to charge the customers more. So I do think that uh, at the same time, the government also have the responsibility to like um, quickly set up more producer responsibility scheme that people like the citizens have more choice on reduced waste at source at the beginning. Not always saying that, oh, you have to do recycling and shift the burden of recycling to the customer and the end user rather than uh, pressure on the producer to uh, produce lesser waste. I do think that it's, it's the sector that people always ignore. And I'm surprised they are claiming that, oh, they are victims. But I do think that they are the largest proportion or the largest uh, amount of people producing waste in Hong Kong. Mm. 
got an email from Brett. Uh, I've edited a little bit, Brett. If you want, you can put the full version on our Facebook page because it's a bit long. Uh, he says, uh, in Hong Kong, you mostly pay rates and therefore have paid what is effectively a municipal services tax. And as government collected garbage from rated tenements, in which I have lived in the past, we have always paid for garbage collection. So the suggestion that Hong Kong has never charged for garbage collection is complete nonsense. I guess directly or indirectly, I guess is whether or not people see it. Brett continues. And it's funny to watch the second dog's breakfast solution looking for a problem involving plastic bags fall flat on its face as its uh, impracticability becomes obvious, especially in more urban parts of town. In my place of origin, we were recycling stuff over 50 years ago. Hong Kong is so backwards. And why is it me who must always be penalized for the behavior of others infuriates me to no end? Well, maybe not just you, Brett. Maybe other people, too. Um, (laughs) Were there other plans considered that... Hong Kong decided we're not appropriate, and so we're going with the plastic bag scheme. I mean, I assume all three of you have been part of the debate. Well, well I, waste I, charging I, has been yeah. decided for a lot. It's known to um, have an impact on behavior change. So it, it for a long time now, it has been part of the overall re- um, plan for reduction. Right. So I guess spontaneously hoping people are going to do it, that's not going to happen. No, I think not spontaneously. I mean, just let's let's not forget, we are using an economic tool, i.e. you have to pay for something, right? That that hopefully will make people feel that they should, you know, comply. And it's through buying the bag. So that's, uh, it's not not unacceptable. And, you know, all these thinking about uh, Shunao municipal waste uh, uh, fee, you know, the, the the rates already comply. I mean, you know, those are neither here nor there. We're starting a new scheme. It is an it is an economic tool, mm-hmm. and there are, the issue about waste is you actually need a scheme for all kinds of different waste types. Hong Kong has actually put in place for sewage sludge. We've got now electronic type waste charging that is already in place. Uh, you know, you have you have to put all these things in place, and now we have finally the municipal charge. And how we're going to have to deal with food waste, right? Collection is not easy, as you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, many, many things need to be done. Hong Kong is behind. Um, and we need to get on with it. Hmm. Uh, I suspect there will be, uh, between the method and the messaging, there will be a lot more action to happen between now and August 1st. And uh, we're, we will surely talk about this again. And we're grateful today for the contributions of our guests, Dana Winograd, the CEO and founder of Plastic Free Seas, Leanne Tam, campaigner at Greenpeace East Asia, and Professor Christine Lowe, Chief Development Strategist at the Division of Environment and Sustainability at HKUST. Thank you for joining us one and all. There's never been an easier way to listen back to all programs on your device. Whichever platform you use, the RTHK Radio app is the perfect place to discover all our shows. It's so easy to use, it looks great, and in an instant, you'll be listening back to your favorite RTHK program. You can even tune in live using the app. Go check it out, the RTHK Radio app at your preferred app store. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88266 and have your say. And we're back on Back Chat with Andrew Work and Ada Wong. And uh, we're going to be talking about uh, dangerous runnings, or is it really? We've got Dr. Chan Kit, who's a representative representative of the Hong Kong College of Cardiology, joining us. Uh, 
to talk about. Yes, the it's always very sad news. Yeah, good After morning. a good run, True. Dr. this tragedy happens. Yeah, Dr. Chan, welcome to the show. Oh, good morning. Thank you for your invitation. Thank you for joining us. I'm, uh, Dr. Chan, uh, of course, what prompted this was the death of, uh, as Ada said, a young man, only 30 years old, uh, who collapsed on, I believe it was the Tinhau MTR station platform sometime after he ran the 10-kilometer, uh, sorry, the, 10, the half-marathon version of the race. Uh, you know, can you give us some insight into this? I mean, on one hand, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a tragedy, but if you, have se- if you pick 72,000 people at random in Hong Kong, would one of them die every day? I mean, is this or is this or is this something that you know we really need to look into quite carefully? Well, um, the tragic news is very uh, emotive, but uh, we have to dissect this question in two ways. On one hand, um, the risk of dying from immobility is way higher than the risk of dying from regular long-term exercise for the general healthy public, and uh, in the general population. Um, the risk of sudden cardiac death is about one in one thousand to, um, to uh, one in two thousand. But for competitive athletes, the risk of sudden cardiac death is about uh, one to two cases per one hundred thousand. So it's uh, fifty to hundred times lower than that in the general public. So the risk of dying from um, uh, long-term exercise is way lower than dying from physical immobility. And the benefit of exercise is way uh, higher than the risk of sudden death. So on the other hand, in patients with uh, heart diseases, uh, some patients might have higher risk of sudden death during high-intensity exercise. So uh, patients with these conditions need to consult medical advisors before uh, joining competitive sports. Yeah, and I mean, uh, was this an undiagnosed heart condition? I mean, I, many years ago, my, when my, it was my early days in Hong Kong in the late 90s, I had a guy that I, I worked with. Uh, he was a bit younger than me, actually. 28 years old, boom, gone, died in his sleep. Uh, turned out he had an undiagnosed heart condition. Uh, I mean, is this, is, this, is this something people should really be worried about, or is this just fate in action? Well, uh, the occurrence of sudden death during exercise is still a very rare event for the general population. Um, over the past two decades, we've done, uh, our research team has done uh, some research into the risk of sudden death in Hong Kong Standard Charter Marathon. Mm. And over the past uh, two decades, uh, we've documented about 16 cases of uh, cardiac arrest among the Hong Kong Standard Charter Marathon runners. Mm. And uh, six of these runners died. And so the risk of sudden death during um, uh, marathon running uh, was about um, uh, 0.5 per 100,000, which is very similar to that of the international data. So the absolute risk is still low. And there's no evidence that a healthy general population who participates in um, uh, long-term uh, endurance sports uh, have high risk of sudden death. But however, um, most of these patients actually had underlying undiagnosed heart disease. Um, so uh, regular cardiovascular screening is recommended. And if patients have, uh, if athletes or runners have family history of sudden death or have cardiac symptoms during exercise, such as chest pain, unexplained uh, fainting, uh, irregular heart beating, or a worsening of shortness of breath, uh, if they have these cardiac symptoms, they have to consult medical advisors before uh, competing in uh, high endurance sports. Right. Um- this person who died tragically um, is only 30 years old. Now, uh, is it is it common that they would feel um, sort of like a like a symptom 
of them having a weak heart, and so they would have to go to a cardiologist. I I know a lot of people who are in their thirties and they do exercise regularly, and they never thought about uh, doing uh, doing checkups and uh, understanding their heart condition. Yes, uh, uh, this is a very good question. Uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, many patients with heart disease are subclinical. They don't have obvious symptoms before they died. And the uh, majority of patients with uh, uh, underlying uh, blood vessels blockage or coronary heart diseases, they died uh, suddenly without warning symptoms. Uh, some of them might experience chest pain, shortness of breath, palpitation, or unexplained fainting. But uh, many underlying uh, cardiovascular diseases are asymptomatic. So, um, of course, if runners experience the above symptoms, they have to consult medical advisors. And it, currently, there's no international uh, recommendation or guidelines for uh, pre-participation screening for amateur marathon runners. But uh, there are some international consensus and recommendations for uh, heart disease screening for competitive athletes. The uh, American Heart Association actually recommended a 14-element uh, questionnaire uh, evaluating the clinical history, symptoms, and physical examination findings to screen for heart diseases for competitive athletes. While the European uh, Society of Cardiology and the International Olympic Committee actually recommended incorporation of uh, routine ECG, the electrocardiogram, uh, on top of uh, clinical history and physical exam to screen for heart diseases for competitive athletes. While the fever actually um, has also incorporated a routine echocardiogram, the ultrasound scan of the heart to screen for silent heart diseases for uh, professional uh, football players. But currently, in, uh, there's no uh, international consensus for screening heart diseases in healthy general population and uh, amateur marathon runners. So the... Um, the current recommendation is still to screen for underlying heart disease, especially for those at high risk, such as those with multiple heart disease risk factors, uh, including diabetes, hypertension, chronic smoking, family history of heart disease, or family history of unexplained sudden death. And these uh, runners with the above high risk factors, particularly if they are above the age of 45 for, for men or above the age of 55 for um, women, According to the American Heart Association, routine exercise stress test is recommended before participation of um, uh, competitive sports. So if, you're, if you've decided to make a big change in your life, because, I mean, those risk factors that you described, they do not sound like a, you know, an accomplished, uh, experienced runner <laughs> would have as part yes. of their lifestyle. It, it sounds more like yes. somebody who's decided they're going to make a change in their life. Um, maybe they might want to go get checked out before they embark on a you know, a new, a, a new program of life-changing, vigorous exercise? Yes, uh, I think a healthy lifestyle, smoking cessation, and control of the heart disease perspectives are still uh, the, 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 the foundation for reducing the cardiovascular risk and risk of sudden death because we cannot predict which runner or which uh, um, healthy person might die suddenly. Uh, in the general population, there's no uh, specific tool to identify these high-risk subgroup uh, mm. uh, runners. But uh, we could use a general screening, including the uh, screening for risk factors of heart disease to identify those uh, high-risk population. And uh, in general, uh, according to medical research, uh, competitive athletes who are older than the age of 35 have higher risk of sudden death uh, compared with the younger counterparts. 
Mm. So for for uh, runners above the age of uh, 35 to 40, especially for men, then uh, consideration of um, a more uh, comprehensive heart disease screening might be considered uh, before participation in competitive sports. Although there is currently no medical evidence that uh, such a, a systematic screening in the general population would reduce the risk of sudden death, but on a personal basis, case-by-case uh, uh, -case basis, for those high-risk individuals, um, screening might have to identify undiagnosed heart disease. Yeah, I mean, it might be expensive. You might have to pay for it yourself, but if you can afford it, it might be worth it. Um, in yeah. the moment, in the moment. So, so with this particular case, apparently he was uh, having a seat on a platform, and the MTR staff came over and were like, "Hey, how you doing?" He's like, oh, "I'm fine. I just need to rest a little bit." And then twenty years, twenty minutes later, they found him passed out, uh, yeah. and then got him to the hospital, still alive. I mean, you can't really fault. I, I, in my mind, you can't really fault the MTR staff for that. They went, they checked on him. He's like, "No, nah, I'm fine." Um, uh, but for other people, you know, for those of us just out in the general public, how can we spot the early signs of a heart attack or cardiac arrest when even the person having it might not know that yeah, it's coming? Uh, so uh, many patients uh, could die uh, suddenly without warning symptoms. But however, some patients might experience uh, dizziness, palpitation, shortness of breath, chest pain or chest discomfort, or even unexplained fainting before sudden death. So. Uh, the importance is to identify these early symptoms and uh, uh, seek uh, early medical attention when you experience these symptoms. Uh, but unfortunately, when some patients just suddenly collapse on the street, and uh, how could we uh, reduce the risk of sudden death in these situations? I think the most important thing is to implement uh, uh, the widespread use of automatic uh, external defibrillator mm. in uh, high-risk areas such as the MTR station, the airport, and uh, sports facilities. And also, um, uh, promotion of uh, cardiopulmonary resuscitation is also important for the general public, especially for those uh, uh, people who have family members with underlying heart diseases. Right. Uh, a related question very quickly is that, um, you know, what should you do after you run a, a marathon or a half marathon? Uh, should you rest uh, or, you know, what should you do? Because I read somewhere that this uh, person actually went to have a bit of lunch um, in the neighborhood and then went to the MTR. So it seems that everything seems very normal. Or, you know, should he have cooled down a little bit before walking around? Yes, uh, uh, cooling down is important. And uh, some patients might have higher risk of uh, dying from um, heart attacks, especially during the recovery phase. Uh, because uh, during exercise, our heart rate increases. But after exercise, there's a sympathetic withdrawal and uh, with increasing vagal tone. So this decreases the heart rate. And during this recovery phase, some patients uh, might be more prone to develop heart rhythm problems or mm. cardiac arrhythmias and sudden death, mm. especially in the recovery phase. Gotcha. Well, I know some of the new technology uh, you can get now, like my Garmin watch. If you stop suddenly, the watch will send an emergency alert. It'll check with you and then send an emergency alert if you don't respond. So maybe technology could be part of the solution. Uh, but for today, we're very grateful to have had Dr. Chan Kit, who is a representative from the Hong Kong College of Cardiology, on the show today. Ada, they're probably going to find me out in the forest collapse sometime with the, with the wild boars uh, making a meal of me after going out for a run if I'm not careful. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, thank you very much. Hopefully people took some good tips. It might even save their lives. Because that's what we do here at Back Chat. We're going to be back on the airwaves tomorrow with Jenny Lam and Janice Wong. Today it's been me and Ada Wong. Thank you very much, Ada. Producer thank Raphael you, Blitt. Andrew. Yeah, and thanks to audio engineer James Lung. This has been Back Chat.